A little girl once asked her mother, Mom, if Santa Claus bring a, brings our presents and God gives us our daily bread and Uncle Sam gives us Social Security, why do we keep Daddy around? Sometimes we take fathers for granted. Dads don't always get a lot of recognition for the things that they do for the family or for the things that they do without in order to provide for their family. But today is Father's Day. The day we set aside to honor our dads and to express our love and respect for them. And with that in mind, I want to share with you a couple of things. First of all, I want to share with you the Father's Day top 10 list of things you've been itching to say for years now. So this is, ladies, this is from the dads in the room. These are the top 10 things they've been wanting to say, but have been frankly afraid to say. So here we go. Number 10, whenever, and this is kind of a throwback to what we already said, whenever possible, please say whatever you have to say during commercials. Number nine, shopping is not a sport. And no, we are never going to think of it that way. Can I get an amen, fellas? Number eight, well, around here, Saturday equals sports. It's like the full moon or the changing of the tides. Let it be. Number seven, yes and no are perfectly acceptable answers to almost every question. And number six, check your oil. Please check your oil. Number five, anything we said six months ago is inadmissible in an argument. In fact, all past comments are become null and void after seven days. Number four, if something we said, this is a really important one. If something we said can be interpreted two ways and one of the ways makes you sad or angry, we meant the other one. Number three, this is so true. If we ask what is wrong and you say nothing, we will act like nothing is wrong. Number two, all men see in only 16 colors. Peach, for example, is a fruit, not a color. Pumpkin is also a fruit, and we have no idea what mauve is. And number one, Christopher Columbus did not need directions, and neither do we. So there you go. Now, of course, I, I'm kidding with this. Maybe this is a little closer to reality, but I want to read to you the definition of barbecuing. First, step number one, the woman goes to the store. Step two, the woman fixes the salad, vegetables, and dessert. Step three, the woman prepares the meat for cooking, places it on a tray along with the necessary cooking utensils, and takes it to the man who is lounging beside the grill. Number, step number four, the man places the meat on the grill. Step number five, the woman gets, goes inside to set the table and check the vegetables. Step six, the woman comes out to tell the man that the meat is burning. Step seven, the man takes the meat off the grill and hands it to the woman. Step eight, the woman prepares the plates and brings them to the table. Step nine, after eating, the woman clears the table and does the dishes. Step 10, everyone praises the man and thanks him for his cooking efforts. Step 11, the man asks, his woman, asks the woman how she enjoyed her night off. And upon seeing her annoyed reaction concludes that there's just no pleasing some women. So there you go. All right, listen, all, all joking aside, we, we need to recognize the immense importance of a father in the life of his children. You know, sadly, even many fathers in our society don't understand the impact they have on our children. And I'm here to tell you that if you will look into it, you'll discover that, uh, that fatherless homes are the source of massive problems that we have socially in this country. Uh, but but it's many fathers, many people just don't understand how important a father is. Bud Welch, 
He was a man who was indirectly one of the victims of the bomb that destroyed the Alfred, Alfred P. Murrah building in Oklahoma City in April 1995. Most of you remember that. But his 23-year-old daughter was, was killed in that explosion. He struggled for years to overcome his grief. First, he dealt with it through rage and then through an addiction to alcohol and finally through forgiveness. He recalls an incident that took place shortly after the bombing, one that he had suppressed for many, many years. He had seen Bill McVeigh, the father of convicted bomber Timothy McVeigh on television. And Bud says, this is the quote, he said, when, when he looked at the camera, I could see a deep pain in his eye. I recognized his pain immediately because I was living with that same pain. You know, as a, as a father, Bud understood the pain that Bill McVeigh was experiencing. Now, fortunately, very few of us, uh, very few fathers will ever experience the kind of pain, the kind of shame that Timothy McVeigh's father experienced. E even though he didn't detonate the bomb, he, he must have dealt with guilt and felt responsible in some way because, I mean, he probably heard the verse in the Bible that says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And maybe he was asking himself over the years, where did I go wrong? Where did I fail? Because, you know, whether they believe the Bible or not, most people understand the principle that Solomon taught, that parents are largely responsible for the way their children turn out. And if their kids succeed, they're proud, and they feel that. If their kids fail or they become rebellious or do something horrible, they, they somehow some sort of blame themselves and feel bad about that. You know, in the movie Gladiator, there's a character early in the movie, Caesar Aurelius, and he has a son named Commodus. And early in the story, Aurelius tells Commodus that he's not going to pass the title of emperor down to him. And in response, Commodus gives this long emotional speech saying that he realizes he could never live up to his father's expectations. And it was this powerful emotional moment as he was saying these things. And, 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 and Commodus looked at his father and he said, all I ever wanted was to live up to you. And Aurelius looks at his son and he says, Commodus, your faults as a son are my failures as a father. There is a lot of truth in that statement. Now, I understand that children, everybody makes their own decisions and, and the decisions that my children make as adults, I, I, I'm not responsible for those things, but I am responsible for raising my children in a certain way. We're, we're responsible for shaping the character of our children, helping, helping them develop habits and traits that will empower them as they go through life. And in many ways, the faults of our children reflect our failures as parents. And does that mean that if you are a good father and you do the right things, that your son or your daughter will never do anything wrong, will never commit a sin, will never become rebellious? No, of course not. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, Jesus himself told of a story, uh, told a story of a father who was a good father, but he had a rebellious son. He was a good father, yet his son made some awful mistakes. And the father in this story is an example of our heavenly father. The story in the gospel of Luke shows us how our heavenly father responds to us when we sin. And it shows us as fathers how we need to respond to our children's rebellious, sinful attitudes and sinful actions. Listen, your son or your daughter may never do what the prodigal son did. Or, God forbid, they may do something even much worse. Either way, the principles taught in this story will help you. It'll help prepare you for it in case it ever happens. 
It will give you hope, a reason for hope in case you're going through it right now. And it will teach you how to respond when your prodigal finally returns. So I want to read Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. If you want to turn there and follow along with me, this is what it says. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his, to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs, which already, you know, maybe you've heard this before, but this is a really bad, desperate situation for a Jewish boy to be feeding pigs. Because they, they don't eat pork. They're not supposed to have anything to do with it. Verse 16, he longed, this is how bad it was. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. I love the prodigal because he's got a plan. He's already figured out exactly what he's going to say to his dad when he shows up. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, he starts his speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he didn't even get to finish. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and, and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, most parents will never have to deal with a child as blatantly rebellious as the prodigal son. Your, your child's disobedience will probably be much subtler, but, but you'll, you will have to deal with it nonetheless. And the best way to handle disobedience is to deal with your children the way your Heavenly Father deals with you. And if you'll do this, you may not ever have to deal with serious rebellion in your family. It's not a guarantee, but you may never have to deal with it. But even if you do, Following these principles will help your children find their way back home just as a prodigal son. So there are three things that a father must strive to do. The first is to build a foundation for your children. Build a foundation for your children. I love what it says, what it said in verse 17, that one little phrase, it says, when he came to his senses. I love that phrase. Fathers, I want you to understand it's your job to give them a foundation for, for good living. It's your job to make sure your children have senses to come back to. He came back, and when he came to his senses, he realized what he already knew was a fact. You know, uh, psychologists say that one of the primary characteristics of children in dysfunctional homes is that they spend their lives trying to guess at what normal is. Their home life is, is erratic, it's unpredictable. They, they assume at first when they're young that, that that's the way it is for everyone. They think that every home is like that. And as they get older and they visit friends in their households, they begin to realize that every family is not like theirs. 
There are some parents who don't scream at each other 24 hours each day. There are some families that don't end every conversation with a slam of the door. There are some fathers who don't work 80 hours a week. There are some families that, that don't get their electricity cut off every other month. There are some families that actually sit down and have dinner with each other and talk about the events of the day. There are some families that the kids actually enjoy being with their parents. There are some families that the parents actually treat their children with respect, with love and respect. And on and on and on and on it goes. They see that it's not the way it is in their home everywhere else. Michael Moriarty in his book, The Perfect Ten, The, the Blessings of Following God's Commandments in a Postmodern World, he wrote this. The April 6, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal reported that on the average, American parents spend less than 15 minutes a week in serious discussion with their children. For fathers, the amount of intimate contact with their children is an average of 17 seconds per day. The important role parents play in socializing children and character formation is a difficult task, but it is an impossible one if the parents fail to bond with their kids. The result, and see if you don't recognize this, the result is that children and adolescents are increasingly disrespectful and disobedient to adults and to each other. The problem is these children lack a solid foundation. They, they don't know what normal is. They don't know what a normal family life is supposed to be because their parents didn't provide them with a normal home and they spend their lives guessing at what normal is. And this is where fathers can make a significant contribution to the lives of the children. Lowell Stryker pointed out the importance of fathers investing in their children when he said, what are the primary tasks of a father and how should we perform them? Fathers protect Fathers teach, fathers model, fathers instill values, fathers empower or, or disempower, and fathers are a child's point of contact with the wider world. In particular, a father is essential for the development of his children's sense of values. In simplest terms, and this is our world, in simplest terms, he writes, no dad, no conscience. You can give your children a foundation upon which they can build the rest of their lives. You, you, you can make sure that they have senses to come back to. You need to do all you can to give your children a solid foundation to, in life. Now the question is, what kind of foundation do children need? Well, first of all, they need to know that they are loved. All children need to know that they are loved. You need to show them and you need to tell them. You know, sometimes we dads, we're better at one or the other. Usually we better, we're better at showing them and we want them to know we love them by our actions. But some men have a real hard time saying, I love you. Dennis Bird, I don't know if you'll remember him as from quite a while back. He, he was a linebacker for the New York Jets. And I, re, I remember reading his autobiography, but uh, one of the most surprising things, Dennis Bird was one, he was paralyzed from the neck down from when he and another defensive end collided and behind a quarterback when they're trying to tackle him. And he wrote a, a book about his life called Rise and Walk. But one of the most in interesting and striking things in that book was the way he and his teammates often ended conversations with one another because they would have these conversations, these grown uh, pro football players, massive individuals, lots of testosterone in that room, macho as they can be, and they ended, often ended conversations by looking at each other and saying, I love you. 
Well, you know what? It's as simple as this. If professional football players can say it to each other, you can say it to your kids. Second thing, they need to know that they're not alone. When they have a problem, they need to know that they don't have to face it by themselves. Now, I'm not saying that you should solve all their problems for them. That's the worst thing you can do for them. Don't jump in and be the white knight and rescue them and solve every issue. And, you know, because sometimes kids, they have to learn how to work through things. They have to learn how to deal with problems, but they need to know that they're not, they're not doing it alone. They need to learn how to solve their problems on their, on their own. But in doing that need, they need to know that their dad is standing with them, that you believe in them and that you're there for them no matter what. Third thing for their foundation is they need to know the difference between right and wrong. J. Edgar Hoover once told the nation, he said this, and I would modify it a little bit. He said, send your children to Sunday school so they don't end up in reform school. I would change that a little bit. I wouldn't say send your children to Sunday school. I would say take your children to Sunday school. Because, first of all, they're learning from your example. And so if you just send them to Sunday school, you're teaching them that God's for kids, that when you get grown up, they, don't, that you, they won't need Him. But one, one of the most uh, frequent causes of rebellion in children is hypocrisy in the home. So, so it is a good start even to, to, to send your kids or to bring your kids to Sunday school. That's a great start. But they also, they have to see those Sunday school values, those Christian values, those godly values lived out at home. They have to see it in the way that you live. Your children will learn to be people of integrity when they say, see that you are a person of integrity. When they see, if they see you kind of slide on the little things and let little things go, then that's what they're going to learn to do, only they'll take it a step further than you did. So they need to see it. And, and through your life, learn the difference between right and wrong. The, see, the prodigal son, he had a foundation for his life. And, and that foundation helped him find his way out of the mess that he had created for himself. And you know what? Your kids, somewhere down the line, if they haven't already, they're, they're going to create some kind of issue, some kind of mess. They're going to do it all on their own. But you know what? If you help build a foundation for their lives, if you teach them right and wrong, if you introduce them to Jesus, if you show them what it means to be a man of God, to be a person who follows Jesus with their whole heart, then you're giving them the, the pathway, a foundation that's going to help them find their way back home. And the prodigal was able to come to his senses. You know why? Because he had grown up in an environment that taught him some sense in the first place. He knew what normal was, and he knew that there was a better way of living than the way he was living at the time. At some point in their lives, your children may insist on going their own way, and they may make a number of very foolish mistakes that will break your heart. And I hope that never happens. But if it does, keep this in mind. The foundation you built for them will help them eventually come to their senses. Fathers, you need to deal with your children the way the Heavenly Father deals with you. He gives you a foundation for living. He has revealed His love to you through His Son, Jesus Christ. He has promised that He would never leave you nor forsake you, so you know that you are not alone. He has given you His Word to teach you right from wrong, and that's exactly the same foundation your children need. Here's the second thing a father must strive to do. Give them an example of fairness. 
Give them an example of fairness. After the prodigal son came to his senses, he said, in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. The, the prodigal son realized that his father was a fair man and that he was much better off being his father's hired hand than being his rebellious son. He, the prodigal son made his decision to go back home. Listen, based on what? Based on what he knew about his father. You see that? He made the decision to go home based on what he knew about his father. He knew that his father was a man of honor. He knew that his father was a man of character. He knew that his father would treat him at least as fairly as he treated his hired hands. Now think about it the other side. What if the son didn't have that example of fairness to fall back on, that example of character to fall back on? Imagine if he had said, I'd like to go home, but what if my dad humiliates me publicly the way he publicly humi humiliates his employees? Or what if my dad turns his back on me the way I've seen him turn his back on others that have disappointed him? Or I just don't dare go home because dad might treat me the way he treats everyone else. Your kids notice the way you treat other people. If you're fair, they see it. If you're unfair, they see it. If you're kind, they see it. If you're unkind, they see it. If, you're, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you gossip behind their back, they see it. If you speak well of people behind their back, they see it. If you're a man of integrity, they see it. If you're a man who will compromise, they see it. it and it affects the way they relate to you. Because the way you treat other people, they know they may be treated the same way. If you want to be an effective, uh, or, or, uh, the father in the story gave his sons an example of fairness that his son could cling to even in the darkest moments. And if you want to be an effective father, you need to deal with your children the way your heavenly father deals with you. He exemplifies fairness. He, he's not a bully, but he's also not a pushover. He is fair. He, he does the right thing all the time. That's the example your children need to see. The third thing that a father must strive to do, this is so important. Be quick to show forgiveness. Be quick to show forgiveness. When the prodigal son came to his senses and decided to re return home, his father saw him approaching from a distance. Now, first of all, that tells me something because he'd been gone all this time. And it tells me that his father must have been standing there looking for his son, hoping every day that he would come home because he, he didn't just he didn't just show up. And he's like, oh, where'd you come from? He was watching for him. He saw him a long way off and he went running to him. And the, the father in response, when he saw him along the way off, he did something that was at that time, culturally speaking, uh, very, very unusual. Normally in that culture, a father would be, would wait to be addressed by his son and, and to receive some indication of respect before the father spoke to him. But the father didn't wait at all. He saw him run, uh, coming a long way off. And, and I'm, I can just picture it. The prodigal son is on his way home and he's rehearsing his speech. Father, I'm not worthy to be, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but, but take me on as your hired hand. Going over and over what he's going to say to his dad. But the father saw him in verse 20. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, 
threw his arms around him and kissed him. Think about this now. This, this guy's been hanging out with pigs. Anybody ever, ever smell the smell of a pig farm? Anybody here smell that? I'm telling you, that is one of the worst smells you can possibly imagine. This kid shows up. He doesn't have shoes on. He doesn't have his clothes are raggedy. He stinks like, he smells like pigs. He smells like slop. He smells like the excrement. That's the word I'll use. And what does he do? He didn't, you know, some of us, we'd run out there and say, son, oh, my goodness, son, you know, I love you from over there. That's not what he did. He ran to him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him while he still stank of rebellion. He kissed him. In that moment, the son, he'd been rehearsing this all the time. He, he began the speech that he practiced all the way home. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father did not even wait to hear it. He wasn't even listening to his son. He needed that light act, sound activated uh, LED tape there. But he wasn't even listening to him. He didn't care what his son was saying about not being worthy. He, he said to his servants in verse 22, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. He didn't say, get him cleaned up and then put something nice on him. He said, bring it, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, which is a sign that he's part of the family again. And sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What a powerful moment of forgiveness. What do you do when your children finally repent? Do you fold your arms and say, well, you're going to have to pre prove you mean business before I believe you. I'm going to withhold until I see you're serious about this. As time goes on, do you remind them again and again of the mistakes that they've made? Or do you allow them to bury the past? You know, a good rule to have around the house, not just with your kids, but with everybody, is don't remind one another of past misdeeds. You know, that's, that's one of the most horrible mistakes I see even married, married couples where they, where they get in an argument and instead of dealing with the issue, they start bringing up everything that the other person has done in the past. And with your kids, if you have to discipline one of your children for something that they've done, deal with it and don't bring it up again. It's been dealt with. We need to deal with our children the way our Heavenly Father deals with us. You know what, the, what He does? According to the Bible, when, when we come to Him and we confess and He forgives us, He forgets. Isaiah 38, 17. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. He's saying you're hiding them. You won't even let me, you won't even let me see them, much less you look at them. Micah 7, 19, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins uh, underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know what I love about that? I'm so glad that the writer didn't say as far as the north is from the south. Because you know what? I can go north and eventually I'll find south. Because if I go north and hit the North Pole, if I keep going, guess what direction I found? Now I'm going south. 
So I can go north or I can go south and I can find the opposite. But if I go east, I can keep going for eternity. And I'm never going to find west. That's how far his, uh, he has removed our sins from us. But no matter how far you go, you can't find it. It's gone. And your children will make mistakes throughout their lives. They are going to sin. Some of them are going to be big issues. Some are going to be smaller. But if you've given them a solid foundation, the Bible teaches that there's a good probability that they will come to their senses and they will repent. And when they do, Dad, forgive them. Forgive them. Celebrate with them. Don't bury the, don't, and then, then bury the sins in the past and throw away the shovel. That's what you do. They come home, you don't say, well, I'm just going to wait and see if you're really serious this time. Embrace them. Hug them and give them a kiss, even with the stink of rebellion still on them. Love them. Forgive them. Don't withhold. Don't make your children wait for forgiveness. Deal with them the way your Heavenly Father deals with you. Forgive them immediately and totally. It is a fact that cannot be denied. Your child will sin. And any parent that denies that is living, in, 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 uh, living outside the realm of reality. Maybe, maybe they'll sin in little ways. Maybe they'll sin in big ways. But he or she will do things that are wrong. And when they come to their senses because of the foundation that you've laid for their life, because of what they've seen in the way that you live, then you must be quick to forgive like the prodigal son's father was, like your heavenly father was for you. You know what this story illustrates? It illustrates a father's love. Father's love for his son, father's love for his daughter. If you want to be an effective father, you need to understand you have to spell out your love for your children. Don't assume that they know it. Spell it out. Of course you say it. You say it with your words. You have to do that. But you also say it much louder with your actions. Build a foundation of love, security, and, and morality for your children upon which they can build their lives and that they can come back to if they ever wander away. Give your children an example of fairness. You have to be a person of character so that you can pass that on to you, to them. Be, be quick to forgive your children when they fail because they will most certainly fail. And when they do, they need to know that forgiveness is available for them. This is how a father expresses love to his children. And you need to understand this. This is not something you do in a day. This is not something you do once in a while. This is not something you do for a week or two. This is not something you do, you know, until they turn 18. This is something that takes a lifetime. A lifetime. It takes a commitment to treat your children the same way your Heavenly Father treats you. That is a father's love. That is a father's love. What I'd like to do today in closing is I'd like all of the dads just to stand right where you are. Come on, stand up if you can. All our dads. On this day, we want to say thank you. We love you.
We appreciate you. And, and we, want, we want you to, to know how much we care for you. Um, what I want us to do is I want us to pray for our dads. I can tell you, until I became a father, I didn't understand the weight that it carried. The, the, not, a, not a burden in the sense of something bad, but the weight that you carry knowing I'm responsible for, to care for my family. That God has entrusted me with this incredible stewardship responsibility of raising a new human being. It's a big deal. And dads, we want you to know you're doing a good job. You know, I'm sure you're, uh, you're like me and there's ways that you can improve, you can get better. But I want to just encourage you saying, Dad, you're doing great. Keep it up. Those places where you struggle, work at it. You can, you, the Lord will help you grow. But you can do this with the help of the Lord. He will empower you. He'll give you wisdom when you, when you need it. Because Lord knows, every dad in this place knows, there are all kinds of those moments that, that roll along and you're like, man, I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to do here. Especially if you're a dad dealing with, with daughters because you're, you're totally clueless there. But you know what? In that moment, God gives you the wisdom. God gives you the wisdom. So I want to pray for you. I want to ask God's blessing upon you. And after we pray, I, I just I want to invite you that we, we do have a photo booth here. You can get pictures with your family. We have, uh, uh, I think we got some donuts here out here for you to, 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 to grab and snack on before lunch because wherever you go, is going to be a line. So you might as well get a snack now. Um, and so uh, we would love for you to do that and just be able to hang out for a few minutes before you head out. But would, would you bow your head and the rest of you, would you just join me in praying for all of these dads? Father, we thank you for your example for us. And God, we know we don't measure up to your example. And we know we have a long way to go with that. But God, I, along with all of these other fathers, stand here today in your presence. And we humble ourselves in your presence, God. We humble ourselves before you and say, God, I want to be the best dad I can be. And what I mean by that, God, is I want to treat my children the way you treat me. And so, God, I pray you would help us to take that to heart. Lord, show us the places where we're not quite measuring up or we need to improve, where we need to grow. But God also encourages us in those areas where we're doing well. And I pray, God, that today would be a day where we, as, the, as dads, that, that we feel encouraged, that we feel loved, we feel seen, we feel known, that, we, that people recognize the sacrifices that we made. And we don't do these things to be recognized, but God, it sure does feel good once in a while. And I pray, God, that this would be a special day for them, for every father in this place. And I pray, Lord, that in Jesus' name, you would, you would keep your hand on our children and that you would help us to give them a foundation upon which they can build their lives so that if they stray, they can find their way back home to you. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.